and turn to the person next to you and say, we are the church. We are the church. We are the church. Amen. Um, Andy, can you get me the... Thanks, Andy. Well, it's an honour to be here with you this morning, Real Life Church, to be speaking to you this morning, and I am so excited to have the kids in the service. Are you guys excited to be here with us this morning? Oh, thanks, Jordan. Honesty is the best policy. (laughs) Okay. I have a secret weapon hidden amongst you or very close to you, and I have secret weapons called chopper chops. Yep, chopper chops. So the, the kid that is listening and can tell me the three points of this morning will get a chopper chop or a sour strap, and then the best behaved will get another lolly. So if you can remember the three points of this morning, and then if you can be the best behaved, you'll get two. So if you get, that, that makes sense? Yeah. The adults, you get my love and appreciation. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you all. After that, let's start with a prayer. (laughs) Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's truth. Lord, we thank you for your love that is light and your presence that is here with us today. Lord, I give you all of the preparation of this message and all that I bring this morning. And I ask that you use it for your purpose and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I love the church. I love you individually and all together, but I love the church. It is such an amazing, diverse community. It's kind of like a mosaic of humanity, the church. Um, I grew up in church. I, um, <laughs> I kind of met the church before I met Jesus. Um, I was, my mom and dad, um, were working and so the lady that was looking after me she was a Sunday school teacher she invited me to come to Sunday school with her and my first encounter with the church of Jesus Christ was her and her husband and so she invited me to come along and during one of her Sunday schools I became saved Um, and the message of Jesus Christ kind of came and impacted my life and I became a Christian at the age of around I think it was about three yeah round three. And so they looked after me while my mum and dad worked. And the beauty of this relationship, I was about, to give you a good understanding, I was about this age right here. And um, when I came into, um, became a Christian and I became, I came into the church, you could kind of like, for me, I would look at it like at Eva Lily and you can kind of get this well, it's okay when she's a little bit older, she'll understand, you know, God and the presence of God and, and she'll understand. So we can kind of maybe wait a little bit longer. But um, this guy, we, Jewel, who was our, my Sunday school teacher, her husband, we, um, who I ended up calling Kulor, by the way, which means grandfather in Maori. And this week I realized he's the only man other than my father that I've actually called Kulor or grandfather, like in Maori, which is significant. Um, and so he kind of took me in underneath his, his wing. And he didn't look at me like I was a three-year-old child. He, he treated me like a disciple. 
And so from the beginning of that moment where I entered his house, he was speaking encouraging things over me. He was prophesying over my life. He was speaking to me about the word. Even he went so far as to invite me to come along with him because at that time it was the 80s and it was all really cool to go out and street evangelize. Does anyone remember that? Yeah, with a guitar and you'd be like, Jesus is the light. That's, that's not how that song goes just in case you're wondering, but you go out and you, and he invited me, a three-year-old little girl to come and sing on the streets because God had told him that I had a, I had a voice to share. I had something to share. And he, he, whenever he spoke to me, he always said, um, you are going to be, you are going to be like a Catherine Corman. And he, he was always using these amazing, huge, Pip, you are going to, there's such an amazing gift on your life. God has so much for you. And I was like a three-year-old and it was really nice to hear these things. But it's not until now being 33 that I understood that at a three, at the age of three, he was speaking into me what was to come. He took the time to, to you know, there was an, a a verse that he kept speaking over my life. Proverbs 3, in Proverbs 3 it comes from, and it says, lean, um, lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. That was probably the first Bible verse that I knew off by heart. Before I knew um, John three sixteen. I knew that verse because he was constantly speaking it to me. Come on, Pip, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. He, um, he even came, I remember one time he came up to um, our our house, we were living in Cessnock at the time, and um, I'd come home from school, and I walked in, and I was probably in kindergarten, a little bit younger than Geordie, I walked in, and he goes, Pip, how many did you get saved today? And I was like, oh, whoa, okay, like, you're the next Billy Graham of your school, do you know that, Pip? At the age of six in kindy, I was like, whoa, okay, He was just so passionate about passing on his heritage of Christ to me and um, passing so much so that when he passed away in his will, he gave me a Bible that had a concordance. And in the front of that Bible was written the Proverbs 3 verse. He was so passionate about that. And so from a young age, the church became my family. My mom and dad moved over to Australia when I was six weeks old and left many of our family back in New Zealand. So I kind of, kind, once I became part of the church, the church became my surrogate family. I've had many um, grandmothers and grandfathers and Kulo was my first encounter with that kind of relationship. Mum and dad were actually youth pastors as well as I grew up. Yeah, look at that, round, round circle. They were youth pastors. And so Shannon and I have now got many um, siblings that are spread throughout the world. We have a brother in India who became a brother of ours because mom and dad opened their house and invited him to become a part of our family and he did and he is amazing and still a part of our life and we still have relationship with him. We've got a brother that's in America, still have relationship. There's even so like one of our youth leaders got to know one of the brothers that my mom and dad, I still, it baffles me that mom and dad kind of parented this young man who lived in Newcastle at the time, didn't even come to our church and, and fathered him. And we still have a relationship with this guy. And he ended up marrying one of our youth leaders who was like our sister who, who babysat us. So the church has become this amazing entity of family to me. It's, it's an amazing expression of family. I've seen the best of church and I've also seen the not so good parts of church. It's 
beautiful and amazing, but sometimes it's not perfect because it's made up of humans, yeah? And that's why it's this beautiful mosaic of humanity. And even in the times that have been hard, I have learned that even if the church may not be fully reflecting or that that relationship may not be fully reflecting the love of God, he is still faithful and he is still good and he will make a way. Yeah. And so I love how the Bible talks about the church. It talks about us being the bride of Christ. It is such a beautiful picture of love. Such a beautiful picture of love. And I'm guessing if you're here today and you're going, who is the church? And you fully don't understand the church is us. The church is us. We are the church. Those of us who have acknowledged how great our God is, acknowledged salvation and taking that in with us and acknowledged that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior and being adopted into his family, we are the church. There's a a handout that our beautiful kids handed out to you. I got five of them coming in the door. Who got more than five? (laughs) This is our vision that God has given to, to Lottie for our church. And so that's the little handout that has given. And I love how it's written here. Our, our statement that's made about our church, who we are, a community united by mission. And that's what I'm going to talk about this morning. The beginning of when I, um, I got up here this morning, I talked about, I got you all to say, I am the church. And this is a journey that I have been going on for a, a, a long period of time of acknowledging my part to play in the community that is church. The definition of community is a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. A group of people living together and practicing common ownership. Is that the church? That's us. But I love how the definition says a group of people. Sometimes when we think of the word community, we instantly think of the group instead of seeing the people. And sometimes in church, we can lose our place because we see the community and we don't see us in the community. But this morning, God wants to tell you that you are valued. You are a valued part of the church. When Jesus was, when um, Ephesians was talking about the bride of Christ and he was expressing his love, he was expressing it to you. You have value. You have a part to play. In Romans um, 1, 12 to 10 to 12 in the message version, there we go. It says, I think of you in my prayers, which is practically all the time. I ask him to clear the way for me to come and see you. The longer this waiting goes, the deeper the ache. I so want to be there to deliver God's gift in person and watch you grow stronger right before my eyes. But don't think I'm not expecting to give to get something out of this too. You have as much to give as I do to you. I love how Paul is expressing this to the Roman church. I'm going to bring this word. I've got this this I've got something that God wants me to bring to you. But don't think that it's just me. You have something to give. God didn't just bring you in here to sit. You have a part to play. Do you believe it? You have a part to play because this is your church. Because without you, it wouldn't have the value that you bring. You have something that the person next to you doesn't have. And that's the reason why you're a part of this church. Amen. 
you have something to bring. We all have something to give and we all have something to gain from being a part of the church. And there is no age restriction to that. I love a couple of weeks ago, I was up here worship leading and I just happened to open my eyes for a minute and I looked down to this aisle. And as I was looking down to this aisle, I was completely blessed by watching Maddie worship. No age restriction. She was loving on God and that blessed me. She brought what she had with no restriction and it blessed me. This, um, on Friday, we had one of our youth guys, Sam, come into the service. And as he, he walked in, uh, hadn't really had an, uh, hadn't really had an all right week kind of thing. And he walked in with this bounding smile, unbeknownst to him, changed my whole night. Because he had something to bring, a smile. He brought it, changed my night. You know, there's um, people like Liz. Having Liz here in my life has opened me up to the beauty of creativity and worship that goes beyond what I had even thought because she's in my life. Jazz has become an adopted sister in my family. And as you notice, my kids will run to her because she is their older sister. She has added value to our life because she's brought what she had to give, love. Gaz and Louie are an amazing couple in our church. They bring so much. They give. You are just as important as them. Because you have something to give the same way that I have something to give to you. We all have an impact that we may not see. In um, Exodus, there is a verse here and there is a girl that is spoken about. This is talking about Moses. And when Moses was born, no babies were, were allowed to be born at that time. And so the Pharaoh was killing off all of the Israelite children. They hid Moses And this is a story of how Moses was able to get to safety. And it says this, Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. That's Moses' mom and dad. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And and she saw that he was a fine child. She hid him him for three months. But when when she could hide him no longer, who knows after three months they are not quiet anymore, She got a papyrus basket for him and coated it in tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put him among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent for her female slaves to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying. She felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse this baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. That story is about Moses' oldest sister, Miriam. Miriam was 10 years old and her mother entrusted her with the safety of her son. That man, Moses, that was in that basket ended up being the man that led the Israelites out of captivity. Miriam, a 10-year-old girl, they don't even mention her name here. She's just his sister in this story, had something to give. If it wasn't for her watching over him, when the, when the Pharaoh's daughter saw him, no one would have been able to connect him with his heritage. How, I don't know about you, but when I saw that, I was like, whoa. A 10-year-old girl 
impact. I was listening to um, a pastor, Tim Ross, speak this week. I go to Youth Alive, I'm at Youth Alive Academy, which is awesome. And it's teaching me a lot. And in one of the lessons, they were talking about the history of youth ministry and kids ministry and things like that. And this is a quote that he said, history makers didn't even know they were making history. And when he said that, instantly I got Miriam. She had no idea the impact it would be. She probably, like if I asked my eight-year-old son to stand watch over his sister, he'd probably end up grabbing a phone. And like she had no idea the impact of her standing and watching her brother. And then going to the, the, the daughter of the Pharaoh. History makers don't even know that they are making history. I'm going to talk to you again this morning about another man. His name's Mordecai. Mordecai is the uncle of Esther. There's a book in the Bible that's dedicated to this, this story. And Esther was a young girl who, had, who was exiled from, the, um, from her land, from her people. And she'd been orphaned, so she didn't have a mom and a dad. And Mordecai was her uncle, and he took her in and raised her. She ended up becoming the queen of Persia. And in this Bible verse that I'm about to read... This is the moment where she is the queen and there is death coming to her entire race that lived in Persia. There was someone that didn't want her race to succeed, didn't want her uncle to succeed. And so she, um, her uncle is asking her to go and abdicate, be advocate on the people's behalf. So Esther 4, 12 to 16 says, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa. Fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, nights or Three days, night, or day. That makes sense, Esther. When you said three days, I got that. Anyway, I, my attendants, will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. In that story, it's an amazing image of watching Esther come into her own and understanding her authority and, and taking that and becoming the advocate that God had placed her in that moment to be. But also in that story, you begin to see this amazing man, Mordecai, who could have so easily went, oh, she became queen. My job's done. Off we go. But you see in the beginning of that, he actually says to her, don't think this is because, don't think that because you're in the king's house, you're going to get away. He instantly says to her that he, he comes in and he gives her the hard word that she needs to understand. And if you see further on, it says, okay, I'm going to do this. He gave her the push that she needed to go off into her destiny. He gave her what was needed. It wasn't like a, a pretty encouraging word, like you have strength and God is with you, which is amazing. But for her, she needed a little bit of a boot up the bottom. Come on, don't think this, isn't, this is not going to affect you. This impacts you as well. And his impact saved an entire generation of Israelites and helped an advocate who was in the making become the advocate that God had destined her to become. See, we all have impact, no matter how young and no matter how old. God has placed us in other places for a reason. 
And when we gather together and we encourage each other in the position that we held, we have and the authority that God's given to us, we begin to see people rising up. Kevin Brett had this awesome quote that I wrote down when I was at a retreat and he said, every generation gets wiser if the previous generation shares their experience. It's an impact. And this shows you that generationally, culturally, racially, when we unite, there is power. We are a community united. I am the church and together we are the church. You know, there's a culture that isn't kingdom culture that we live in today. That culture says to people that you are useless, you are condemned, you are isolated and you need to compare yourself and you need to compete to get position. But the kingdom of God says that you are valuable, that you are forgiven, that you are loved and never left alone, that when you embrace and empathize, unity can come. Yeah? You know, there's this store, uh, this TV show on TV, obviously, because it's a TV show. Well, it's not on Netflix. It's on TV. It's called Talking About My Generation. And I watched that TV show. And I kind of, when I first started watching, I was like, oh, this is funny. But as it kept going, I was like, I don't know if I like this. Because all you saw was comparison between the generations. Well, the baby boomers are better than the Generation X. So the Generation X is better than Generation Y. And oh, those millennials. Like constantly comparing. But when you compare, you are competing. When you go, oh, when my, back in my day, when you are comparing, you are competing. When you sit there and you go, oh, we've got it all good now here in this day in my generation. But when they had it back then, we are so much. You are competing. Every generation has an impact. Every generation is called in the, in the kingdom of God. I love how in Naomi and Ruth, it, it really shows this kingdom culture. Ruth in verse, uh, chapter 1, 14 to 19, in the message version, it says, Again they cried openly. Orpah, who was the other sister-in-law, kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth embraced her and held on. Naomi said, Look at your sister-in-law. It's going back to her home to live with, um, with her own, with her own people and her own gods. Go be with her. But Ruth said, don't force me to leave you. Don't make me go home. Where you go, I go. Where you live, I'll live. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I'll die. And that's where I'll be buried. So help me, God. Not even death itself is going to come between us. When Naomi saw that Ruth had her heart set on going with her, she gave in. And so the two of them traveled to Bethlehem. Ruth and Naomi had come to another land. She had gone to another land because there was famine in her land. She was all alone because she'd gone with her husband and her sons and they had all died. And she had these two daughter-in-laws. One of them was Orpah. And when Ruth said, uh, when Naomi said to them, go home to your own, Orpah went home. But Naomi embraced. One version of the word says she clung to Ruth. No, 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 don't let me go, don't let me go, don't get me, don't let me go. And when Naomi saw that she had her heart, they traveled together. You know the power there is in embracing and in empathizing. I was at Hope You See conference and I was praying about this message. God had placed it on my heart a while ago. And while I was praying for this message, God gave me this vision 
In Hebrews 12, 1 to, 3, uh, 1 to 3, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand throne of God consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that we will not grow weary or lose heart and he gave me this vision I'm going to ask my amazing husband who was hosting this morning and my beautiful son Caleb to show you the vision that he'd given me are we going to do it on the stage coolies he's got a straight jacket on people he's put himself in his jacket the wrong way preparation yes and this is the vision. Sometimes when we see this run the race of perseverance, this is what we see. It's a relay, right? And so Caleb's going to come stand up here in front of the box. Jordan, you, you sit down, darling. I love you, but you worshipped. Thank you. Sit down. Sit down. Sit. Okay, Jordan's going to run with him. Okay, cool. No. Okay, there we go. This is what we usually see when we think of this verse. Go. that's what we usually see here generation here's the bible take it run with it go Woohoo! i'll stand back here cool this is what the holy spirit showed me in worship this is what he was talking about this is the relay we run are you ready go okay fast pace <laughs> that is the kingdom of god because no generation is left behind. It even says there is such a great cloud of witnesses that are watching us. Even when we finish running and we are at home in heaven, we are still cheering on the generations that have come after us. How impacting is that? Thank you, guys. Go sit back down. They just, they really. How impacting is that? We don't have to hand on, because sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I've been like, oh, okay, cool. When I hit a certain rate in church, that's when my valuability is finished. That's when my usefulness is finished. And then I hand over what I believe to the next generation and they run with it. But that, God says, that is not my kingdom culture. Take their hand, run with them until you're finished, then stand and clap them on. This is kingdom culture. This is the church. And this is why he calls us to be united. Because not only does he leave us alone, we're not to leave each other alone. He wants us to run with our children. He wants us to run with our parents, with our grandparents. He wants us to run with those who don't have parents in the church. He wants us to run with the, with the girl who doesn't have a father and she's three years old. Dad's in the church. It's your job to show her what a real dad is. Mom's in the church for the, for the sons and the daughters who don't have mothers. It's your job to show them what real love is, what a real mother is. It's our job. It is our job to do this. I love that God does not leave us alone in any way, shape. He calls us to unite. He calls us to be a community. He calls us to unite. The first point was, I am the church. Say, I am the church. The second point is, 
We are the church. And the third point is spread the gospel. We're not just called to stand and huddle and pray in tongues and stay in our building and be like, oh, yes, Jesus, you're going to come to our community while I'm in my church and I'm standing here. Please go. He goes, okay, cool. I placed you in a job that's in your community. Go bless someone out there. Like how great is our God talks about, come sing with me. Look, how great is my God. Matthew 28, 19, 16 to 20 says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There is no age limit. There is no cultural limit. There's no language limit. He says, go, spread the gospel, go. You know, sometimes it can feel daunting. And there's um, some guys, uh, there's some guys who are going to come and sing a song in a minute. And when I heard this song, it reminded me about how daunting it can actually feel to spread the gospel. I remember as that kindy kid, when Kulo came to me and he said, you're going to be a Catherine Coleman. How many people did you save today? I was like, huh? I didn't say sinner's prayer with anyone. And it kind of made me feel really daunted. And for, for, for different reasons, for different times, sometimes the actual mission of the church has scared me. I'm being honest. It scared me because some people don't want to hear the message. They don't understand. And this song helped me to realize what Jesus prayed in John 17, verse 23. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. It's this simple. Love. You may not be ready to share the the sinner's prayer with someone. They may not be ready. But love them into the kingdom. Because our community is about love, yeah? Because it's about God. And who is God? God is love. Our mission as a church is for all to know God. For all to know love. It's simple. And when you can focus on who God is, when you can see that it is that simple, the goal changes from this arbitrary when I'm 45 I'll save people when I'm a pastor I'll save people when I'm 15 I'll save people when I'm in youth ministry when I'm in cosmic but when it's put like this you see that even in starburst Eva Lily has an impact because all she needs to do is love those that are around her you guys have an impact Because God placed you in a school for a reason, because you have value. And there is something that you were to bring to your school and your friends by loving them. You guys have an impact because God's placed you in a high school or in a job or in a place where you were called to love those people. You guys have an impact because God has given you a job and placed you among people who need to know love. When we become the church, when we get this understanding of our value individually in the places that God has placed us, 
when we get to understand that together, unified by encouraging each other when we're here on a Sunday or when we meet in life groups, we can stand in the places God's called us. When we get to understand that it's about love, we become the beacon of light that He has called us to be. Because loving comes easy. Like Jesus said, I in them and you in me. I in them and you in me. His love in us, we shine it. Sometimes we just need to stop and refocus. And this song brought me to tears because it made me remember that when we stand and we be who we are called to be in our families, in our communities, when we love those that are around us, people come home because people have been hurt by us. They've been hurt by the church. But when we begin to understand that they have have value the same way we have value, they have something to give as as we have something to give, they come back home. When children who don't have parents or grandparents have an understanding that in the church they have found family, they come back home. 